Good morning. Welcome. Uh, We continue our series in the Gospel of John with chapter 11, uh, where we read about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. I'm going to continue our reading uh, this morning uh, from verse 32 in chapter 11. And this is what it says. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Uh, So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Amen. You know, what a privilege it is to read the Bible, to have the Bible. It is a true delight to be able to read it and to see uh, what is revealed in that text. Uh, or should I say, who is revealed? You know, sometimes this joy of a book is sometimes described as the revelation of God. Now, at one level, this is a very good description because God is the one who provided the information. He is the one uh, who revealed what is to be read. Uh, He is the one who continues to act in our minds and our hearts, helping us as we read it even now. He reveals. And as such, it could be understood as the revelation belonging to God, you know, the revelation of God in that sense. However, the idea of the Bible as the revelation of God uh, goes to a different level. There's a very real sense uh, by which it really is the revelation of God. By that I mean when we read the text, we can see him. He himself is revealed in these words. It means that when we read this text, we don't just simply read a a book, um, a a tome filled with uh, some good laws or wise advice, but rather when we read this book, we can begin to see something of him. Now, revealing who Jesus is has been front and centre in the opening ten chapters of John's Gospel. Um, Now, only you you may remember that chapter 10 ended with the idea that now it was perfectly clear who Jesus was. He had revealed himself and what he had said and what he had done. There is now no doubt that he is the Messiah. And as such, the chapter finished with a reference to John the Baptist. Um, It was a a reference which uh, allowed for a poignant nod uh, towards the fact that the mission of John 
was now complete. As John himself said in, in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 31, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. His ministry to reveal Christ, to reveal who he is, has been completed by the end of chapter 10. So the following chapters, 11 and 12, they act as a, as a sort of a bridge between this revelation presented in the opening 10 chapters and that journey to the cross, the tomb and the resurrection uh, that comes after uh, from chapter 13 onwards. It means that when we read the, uh, of the raising of Lazarus, it acts as the conclusion of the seven messianic signs, the signs who point to who Jesus is, whilst at the same time being the very prompt that the Pharisees needed to actively seek his death. It means that this miracle is slightly different from the ones that went before. Uh, though the sign reveals who he is, to some extent it seems as if people have already made up their minds. They don't want to listen. Despite the signs, the people will not believe. That's what uh, chapter 12, verse 37 says. Uh, though he had done so many signs before them, they still would not believe. Now, to be clear, uh, there are some who believe, but they are in contrast to the religious leaders who are now absolute in their opposition. Now the Pharisees no longer even confront him or challenge him. They simply wish to silence him. As chapter 11 will go on to show, they cannot deny the signs. They know that soon everyone is going to start believing in Jesus, and so they decide he has to die. You know, it really is... Incredible. Jesus raises a man from the dead, something the Pharisees don't deny. They accept that he can do these remarkable things. And their response is to try and stop him. It goes to show that the state of their heart, that even this great miracle has no impact upon them. It actually reminds me a wee bit, I suppose, of, of the people of Sodom. Uh, when God intervenes in a miraculous way. In Genesis 19, uh, the men of Sodom seek to do great harm, but are prevented because God blinds them. And instead of repenting, instead of falling on their knees and crying out to God, they simply shrug their shoulders and they go home. Even in the face of the indisputable, there is no response. And it's the same here. A man is undeniably raised from the dead. But the Pharisees don't question it. And they don't repent. They don't cry out, this is God among us. Instead they seek to kill him. They seek to get rid of the Messiah. Nevertheless, uh, the raising of Lazarus is the seventh sign recorded in the Gospel of John. Now, much as I stated at the beginning, the goal of the Gospel thus far has been to reveal who Jesus is. And the signs are an integral part of that. Uh, whether it's when Jesus turned the water into wine at the wedding in Cana, or fed the 5,000, or walked on the water, or when he healed the official son, the paralysed man, or restored sight to the blind, each of these Miracles, each of these signs declared who he was. In fact, that's why John declares them as, as, describes them as signs rather than wonders or miracles. They're not just simply demonstrations of power. They point 
as a sign to Jesus and who he is. You see, John, more than any of the other gospel authors, is very much moulded by the Old Testament. His choice of vocabulary here, the choice of sign, refers back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, a sign was something that was given in order to authenticate the speaker and the message. As such, uh, whether it's Moses or one of the later prophets, um, the sign is not just a, a show of power, but of uh, divine authority. In Exodus 4, uh, when Moses has his stick that is to turn into a serpent, or the hand that is to be diseased and healed, God specifically says that these are a sign. It is a sign that God has spoken. Uh, the point of it was the authority of the messenger rather than the wonder of the miracle itself. And it's the same here. That's what John means when he uses sign in the gospel. These signs reveal that Jesus is the one with authority. And as we see these different signs, we see that he has authority over creation. Uh, he has power over sickness, no matter how serious. And even now in chapter 11, we see that it is a power, an authority that extends to even overcoming death. But what is most important, beyond the power, beyond the authority, is that these signs authenticate what he says. They endorse the divine origin of the message. They confirm the claim that he is the divine messenger. And by so doing, they reveal something of the nature of God. Now, I started out by saying that the Bible is the revelation of God, as in God revealing himself. You know, it was always God's intention that he would be known by his people. It was always his intention to walk with us without the barrier of sin and death. And so he comes as a man to pay the price that was required for us to walk with him through eternity. Yet as he does so, as a man, he manages to reveal the heart of God. Now, echoing what was revealed in the Bible before that, in the Torah and in the prophets, we see it in action in a man. Uh, this is what we see um, from the very beginning of this gospel. In chapter 1, verse 14, it said, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Now, John's use of the word glory is again influenced by the Old Testament. Uh, the word glory is sometimes used in the Old Testament to describe the appearance of God, uh, sometimes referred to as a, a devouring fire, such as in Exodus 24 verse 17. Uh, however, more often the glory of God is a way of trying to describe the fullness of God, uh, the entirety, his perfect entirety. So when Moses asked to see God's glory, God said, you can't see my face. No man can see my face and live. In Exodus 33 verse 20. Of course, God did find a way to walk near Moses and to talk with Moses, but never in the fullness of his glory. Never as he, as he, as he really is. The point is that God's glory is so overwhelming that humans cannot go near it. It would be like diving head first into the sun. But later God found a way when he became a man. And so Jesus in God's gospel was the ultimate way to reveal this glory, his glory. To reveal himself in a way, though, that people could comprehend. 
It's interesting that even in verse 4 of our passage today stated, uh, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So the illness and raising of Lazarus is for the glory of God, that people would praise him for the miracle. But it also acts to glorify the Son, to show that he is in fact God. As such, the sign of raising Lazarus from the dead provides a platform. It's supposed to grab our attention and then point that attention to Jesus. For in this chapter, the sign then provides a revelation of God. Once we see him, we can see something of the glory of God. There is something intrinsic about the person of God. There is something about him, not just his power, not just his authority, but something about him that is revealed in this text that we cannot afford to miss. When we look at the seventh sign, the raising of Lazarus, there is one key lesson in it all. That Jesus is the one who has power over death. However, in order for the sign to be effective, uh, there had to be first no doubt that Lazarus was actually dead. Now, despite receiving the news that Lazarus was ill, Jesus delays. Uh, Despite the fact that he loved this family, he did not rush off to them. He does not try to get there in time. And that's because Jesus knew that even before the messenger had arrived, Lazarus had already died. As we see in verse 6, Jesus delays for two days, only departing uh, uh, later on. And then in verse 39, to find out that Lazarus has already been dead for four days. So even if Jesus had left immediately, Lazarus would still have been dead for two days. And so he will delay. He wants to reveal to this family that he loves something that would not have been possible if there's any ambiguity about Lazarus' death. Seeing as he is dead, Jesus is going to use this for the glory of God. With Lazarus confirmed to be dead, his resurrection effectively teaches us about the power that Jesus has over death. It allows him to say to Martha in verse 40, Did I not tell you you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? The miracle provides the substantiation for verse 25, when Jesus provides one of those I am statements. One of those statements that says, I am God, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. But this is the key lesson of the text. In fact, what we usually call this passage, the, the raising of Lazarus, It would probably be more accurate to describe it as the revelation that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. No, he doesn't just say, I've got the power to bring a man back to life. That's not what he says. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He is life. He was the author of life at creation. He provides the spiritual life here and now to those who would otherwise be dead in their trespasses and sins. And he is the life that flows through those who will be raised from the dead at his return. The raising of Lazarus underpins the statement. It shows the truth of what Jesus says, that he, as God, is the means of life. So the sign demonstrates the power that Jesus has, allowing us to cry, how wonderful, for our Saviour has vanquished death. Uh, The sign substantiates the declaration of Jesus, allowing us to cry, How marvellous for our Redeemer is the resurrection and the life. And in his presence, there is no room for even the shadow of death. 
To this, the text provides a further glorious insight, a revelation of God, where we see not just the power of God over death and his authority over the grave. This text also reveals something of the heart of God. So, you know, as a theologian, I love the big themes that come together in this passage. Uh, the seven signs, uh, the power of Jesus as God over death, the one who invented life. I love the idea that the glory of God, which is too much for us to comprehend, is revealed in this person, Jesus Christ. However, for all of the big themes, there's also something revealed in this text that tells us not just what he can do, but tells us who he really is. And so... Uh, this text tells us in the shortest verse, as we see from verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. There's something incredibly precious in the tears that Jesus shed. Uh, already dealing with the loss of his friend Lazarus, here Jesus witnesses Mary crying out in the throes of her grief. Now her weeping would not have been gentled and controlled. The Greek term tells us that instead it was utterly unrestrained. It was a wailing and a, a shrieking that could be described as uh, almost as hysterical. And the response of Jesus in the face of such terrible grief is beautiful. For Mary's grief affects Jesus. And he weeps. Jesus does not simply cry for what he has lost, as the mourners suggest. He weeps with Mary. And this is a, a vital distinction. That God would weep with those who are mourning. And not just simply weep over what he has lost. Now this is not the first time that God weeps with those who mourns. Uh, one really powerful example is found in Jeremiah 9, verses 17 to 18. It says this. Thus says Yahweh, Lord of all that was made, consider and call for the mourning woman to come, send for the skillful woman to come, let them make haste and raise a wailing over us, that our eyes may run down with tears and our eyelids flow with water. The women who mourn in that Jeremiah text find Yahweh weeping alongside them. He grieves with them. And it's good to be reminded that God weeps with us, feeling our pain from the inside. Even here in Jeremiah, when the pain is actually self-inflicted, when the people are reaping the consequences of having rejected God, even here we see that he weeps with them. When Jesus weeps, it reveals who God is. It tells us that a God who promises to wipe away the tears in the future stands with us now and weeps with us. In our current situation, there are many who weep. And whilst I rejoice that my God has power over death and has authority over the grave, I rejoice in the fact that he also guarantees my future. But it is with gratitude that I also know the depth to which he cares about me now. Not just in the future, but now. His willingness to feel from the inside and weep with me now. We, we sang and read from Psalm 130 earlier, uh, and it has a certain resonance with the message of our gospel text. All too often, like the psalmist, we find ourselves in the depths crying out to Yahweh to hear us, to take note of our cries and our tears, and it is not in vain. We know we have a God who would weep with us, and even in the darkness, 
he provides hope. He demonstrates his unbreakable love and as the author of life provides redemption. And this is who we find revealed in the text. He is powerful as the vanquisher of death, glorious as the redeemer who would offer his life, and precious as the one who would hold us, weep with us, and promise one day to wipe away those tears. God bless you. Amen.